Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Two benefits of that, the, the result of, of expressing that thankfulness. The first one was that it, that it gave credit to where credit was due. And by that, we went over the fact that it, it confirms the truth of God that we claim that we believe. It takes focus off of the receiver, that'd be us, and pushes it towards the giver, which would be God. The second benefit that we, were, that we saw through expressing thankfulness is that it imprints gratitude. And that was the example I kind of gave of like miracle grow, how whenever you put, when you don't have miracle grow on a plant, it kind of just grows, but it doesn't grow huge. It doesn't really, really come to life. It has just a little patch of ground that it gets to be in. But whenever you sprinkle that miracle grow on the plant, it starts taking deep roots and starts spreading more and more. It's kind of what expressing thankfulness uh, does. And so whenever we express that, grand, that, that thankfulness and that gratitude in our lives towards the Lord, it allows that, that plant, that seed of thankfulness in our lives to continually grow and take root in our lives. Then we went over redirecting, or it redirects words and deeds. If we, fill, if we are filled or filling our lives with words of gratitude and thought of praise, we will not have time for grumbling or a desire for self-focus or focusing on ourselves and our wants. And the final thing was that it promotes discipleship and witness by being a people that are continually grateful, that are continually thankful towards the Lord and just towards others around us. What that does is it takes the focus off of ourselves, but on top of that, it puts God out in the forefront. It allows us to adorn the gospel like we're supposed to be. So this morning, um, what we're going to do here in a little bit is we're going to be going over that more in depth with, with a psalm. So we'll be going over a psalm. But before that, I wanted to show you guys another clip. This one's not Alistair Begg for once. However, it is at his conference. So uh, what we're going to be doing is look, watching a, a clip from an individual named Rico Tice. Rico Tice is an evangelist that is in London. And he'll make it very widely known. I think that he's on staff at a church in London. However, he's not a preaching pastor at this church. What he does is he literally just goes out into the streets and evangelizes. That's, that's what his full-time job is. But I wanted to show this clip. It's called, it's Rico Tice. It's from the Basics Conference of 2019. And the title of the sermon, if you want to go back and watch it, it's a great sermon. But if you want to go back and watch it, it's called, What is Hidden Under Your Tent? And so why are we watching this? One, it sh he does a great job in this short 10-minute clip showing how he lives a life of gratitude. He also shows a focus on the Lord and his word. He also in this shows how he battles busyness within his life. If you remember a long time ago, it feels like, but we went over that one week where one of the, the big struggles of constantly being grumbling is that we're just too busy. We constantly find things to fill our time, and that doesn't allow time to be grateful for things. So he goes into how he battles that. He goes into how he fights sin and grumbling with how we think. And it also goes through, he goes through and shows how he has accountability with other believers. So everything that he talks about here, it's more directed towards his personal quiet time, but you can see how it's, how it's uh, applicable to this class, and it'll also be applicable to what we'll be going over today. So if you don't mind starting that. So what is causing you to sin? 
But then you see, as I'm, as I'm doing that, what I've got to do is, is I've, got to, I've got to fill my heart with the desire to fight sin. And so in order to do that, this is what I, I, I'm seeking to do. This is just a little framework. I, I start with my thinking, then I've got my feelings, then my choices behaving in the physical health, and I've got my sinful heart in the middle pumping away. And in my thinking, I've got to remind myself of the blessing and kindness and goodness of God. So what I do every morning is every morning I ask myself these questions. This is what I ask myself. When was I converted? When was I converted? When did it happen? That's the, that's the first question I ask myself in the morning as I get up. When was I converted? Well, you know the answer, don't you? Ephesians 1, this is amazing. I was converted before the beginning of time. Now, I find that changes how I feel in the morning. Rico, when were you converted before the beginning of time? Here it is. For, for, he chose, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless? Me? Gosh. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Makes me want to weep, you know. When was I chosen before the beginning of time? Next question. Uh, how does God feel about me? Romans 1, 16 and 17. Now a righteousness from God has been revealed. So how does God feel about me? Answer, this is what I say to myself in the morning. He's delighted with me. Why is he delighted with me? Because he's delighted with Jesus. And Rico, you relate to God through Christ's performance, not your own. It's just staggering. So I was converted before the beginning of time. And how does he feel about me? He's delighted. I look at, you know, similiusus at the same time justified as a sinner. So, so here is a book, and in it is everything I've ever done wrong. Here it is. And can you see every page is blank? Why? Because I've been given the righteousness of Christ. So Gresham Machen, as he died, do you remember his last words? I thank God for the obedience of Jesus. So Jesus gives me his righteousness. I look at the depravity I'm battling and the humility of the spirit to keep doing that is overwhelming, but I am righteous before God. How does he feel about me? Rico, I'm delighted with you because I'm delighted with Jesus. Again, that brings me to tears. And then today, what, what, why is today a great day? Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. What is my good that I'll grow more like Jesus? So here's the line, Rico, today's a great day because today's the day God has planned for you and if it's good for God, it's good for you. So whatever happens, God has planned it so that I grow more like Jesus. Now that can be hard. My father had violent dementia for five years. He had a police escort out of one old people's home because he was wielding knives. It was tough, but I could see the Lord transforming me through it as I held in my dad's hand and wept. But everything's, every, Lord, you're using all these things, good and bad, to make me more like Jesus. And then, you know, uh, why is today a better day than yesterday? Because I'm a day's march closer to home. I'm a day's march closer to seeing Jesus face to face. And for the non-Christian, they're a day's march closer to hell, so it's a worse day. So I start my day with these words. And then my heart fills. And then what am I feeling? Thanksgiving. So, so if I flick back here, what I'm feeling is thanksgiving. And then I want to go and serve. Then I'm choosing to serve. But as I'm choosing to serve again, brothers, there's such a battle going on, the depravity of my, of my heart. So, so I, I've got to check on anger. Because what I'm finding is there is a real anger problem in me. And so, so it's mortification of the flesh. So every morning I go through these verses on anger. Uh, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give, give no opportunity to the devil. So Lord, please don't, I get cross about things. Please help me not to let the, the devil take hold. And I'm mortifying the flesh by the word of God through the spirit, Romans 7. 
And then again, you know, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And, and so I have an anger call that at the start of the day, I say, Lord, I, I put this in place because I'm meant to be teaching the Bible. I'm meant to be teaching the Bible. If I lose my temper, they can't trust me to teach the Bible. So I've got to control it. And it's a battle. So I have my R call. There it is. Acknowledge, absorb, respond. A-A-R. So acknowledge it. Gosh, that's, you've just said something that's made me feel really angry. So internally, I'm saying that with a dear member of the church family. I'd like to take you outside and kick your head in. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> as I'm smiling at them. <laughs> Secondly, absorb it. 24 hours, Rico, just step back. Just step back. You can't be losing your temper. You're meant to be teaching the Bible. And then respond. So actually, you know, okay, I might go back to them. I might say, look, in the context of where they're at, Lord, just help me to forgive or respond. Look, I'll go back and say, that was tough. But at least I've got a process for the anger. And, and I'm afraid with me, it's not just anger. Uh, it also lust battles. So in terms of the choices I'm making, I, each morning I'm trying to put my flesh to death by, by, by just, just getting this in place in terms of what's going on. So, so be sure your final sin will find you out, Rico. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lord, please, please, Lord, help me to be godly on this. And then, you know, on we go. Or, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Lord, please, you've bought me at a price. Please help me to battle this. I once had gone through these verses and I was sitting on the steps of All Souls at 7 a.m. to meet a guy to, 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 to for breakfast, an early meeting. And it was May, 7 a.m. And a, a, a girl came up in the most flimsy summer dress. And, you know, 7 a.m. And I'd just been through my verses. And I said to her, you've got to be kidding. You can't dress like that at 7 a.m. <laughs> I said, give us a chance. And she looked at me like I was absolutely mad. I'm sure she's never come near all souls. Fortunately, I didn't have a dog collar on. But I'm like, but you know, I'm just trying to mortify. I'm going through the verses to mortify the flesh. You know, so, so this, guys, guys, just to say as we close, this is my map. This is my map. And then choice, then physical health, you know, day off. We don't break God's laws, they break us. So if you don't take a day off, brother, you break yourself. I've got a mate, Roger Carswell, who's an evangelist in the north of England. He said to me, I missed my days off, Rico. Then I had a breakdown, and I took all the days I missed in a row. <laughs> so are you taking your day off when you can put your arms around your wife? Do a couple of the jobs at home. Come on, guys. What do you do? What do you do to what's the creation? It was great to hear about Alistair playing golf. That's wonderful. It's not just evangelistically, but he's renewing himself. What are we doing? So that so actually the doctrine of creation. You know, I I hate it when the rugby season's not on because I, there's not I can't read the write-ups in the paper. It's so boring. Just normal news. But what do you just have? Just that that what do you have that just you know I love, I go swimming with my daughter. It's embarrassing because I've got a furniture problem. My chest is in my drawers nowadays, but <laughs> off we go swimming. But I'm trying to make those deposits. And it, and, it, and it all starts with my thinking. So my thinking, the grace of God, my feelings, so not, resent, not resentment that leads to rebellion. Achan, had, you know, Achan hadn't got the grace of God. He hadn't got the blessings of God in place. Eve, she was filled with resentment by the devil. Then she chose to rebel. Then I'm choosing lust and anger to put those to death. And then I'm looking physical health. If I've only had four hours sleep, how's that going to be in terms of these battles? And then as the stuff that hits my life environment, I'm getting ready for that. 
2018, I had five suicides, male suicides, five. So you're having to put that in a box and go, Lord God, I'm, Lord God. But you know, I've got, I, you know, this stuff comes in and hits it, but I'm able to recognize the depletion. And here's the issue, jot this one down. My wife has got this map for me. So she's able to share, I'm able to say where I'm at. So you, and this is a great one. This is how I teach the young men to have quiet times. You know, get your thinking, let's, get, let's meditate on the word of God, get our feelings in place. You know, and, and, and then our core feelings, let's get, let's get the word of God into our core feelings. So, you know, the school I went to taught me three things. You're not good enough, prove yourself, it's a dangerous world. That's what it kept it, and I, I know I'm not good enough. Uh, uh, prove myself, no, I've got the righteousness of Christ. It's a dangerous world, no, sovereignly, it is dangerous, but he's gonna conform me to the likeness of Christ. Oh, the gospel, and I'm applying that to the core stuff that, that, that's deep down that I, I see knocking around. And you know, the problem is, brothers, from Achan's sin, is that if we don't do it, the next generation suffers. I mean, people's lives are at stake. And our evangelism's at stake. Because I won't be with you anymore. It couldn't be more serious. Now, the great thing is we've got tonight and tomorrow and Wednesday, to, 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 we've got a bit of time. You've done wonderfully to get here. It's, it's such a privilege to be here with you. But we've got time to do some work here. We've just stepped back. For your sake, for the gospel's sake, for your family's sake, please, let's do the work. Let's pray. So what is causing me to sin? Brothers, what's causing me to sin? And let's hear the wonder of the gospel again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't on us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you were pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. Thank you that the punishment that brought us peace was upon you and by your wounds we're healed. We can't believe your kindness. Cleanse us afresh. We seek your forgiveness afresh. And now, Lord, please, please, strengthen us to put to death those things that could kill us. Amen. This message was... All right. So I thought that reviewing that clip this week really helped at least concrete everything that we've been going over in my mind. So I hope that, that helped out a little bit. There's a couple other things from that clip that kind of brought me joy. One was, did anyone notice the pulpit? <laughs> like, I don't know how he stays. And if you watch, while he's speaking, he has this notebook in front of him, and he'll turn like two pages back, say something from it, go two pages forward, say something from it. So like even his notes were as messy and insane as the pulpit with all the books that he had. But the other thing is, and this is what kind of brings me joy in watching those clips, is that the message was great. However, throughout that entire message, I could see, I could pick my dad out in the crowd. So like there's one, if you notice, there was one time they zoomed in and there's a guy in a red plaid shirt. That's my dad. And he was smiling and listening to it. And it's a place that I know he takes, he goes to that conference every year and it's a place that he just takes joy in. Like he goes there, he can relax, he's with his his elders and with a few of his deacons, and he just enjoys that time. 
But watching that clip now brings me joy and knowing like the storm that my family was brought through. And I can now watch that clip and see dad and rejoice that I could call him right now and talk to him and make fun of him for the clothes he was wearing and things like that. But at the same time, I can think back to the storm that we were going through and it was a very good chance that if I was watching that clip today and the Lord chose a different path for our family, that that, that clip would hit harder, but I would, I would hope that I could still take joy in knowing that I may not be able to call my dad, but I will see my dad one more, one more time, one more day, at some point when the Lord calls me home. So that's something that, as I was watching that clip, it really struck me that like, we can still take joy in pain, we can take joy in, in joyful things. But, so today, actually, does everyone like that clip? Anyone have any comments on the clip? Anything? So the speaker is Rico, R-I-C-O, Tice, T-I-C-E, and the sermon is called, What is Hidden Under Your Tent? And the, everything up to that point was uh, him talking about Aiken and hiding um, the things that he acquired under the tent and the result of that sin and trying to hide that sin. And if you look at the back of today's handout, I couldn't find that, that outline that he had on the screen. However, on the bottom part of the homework, and he also talks about that exact same thing in a book that he wrote called Faithful Leaders. It's primarily aimed towards elders and pastors, but it's a great book if you want to pick it up and read it. It's an easy read. It's really good, just about being leaders in general. But in that, he talks about that time, and he calls it uh, Rico Tice's catechism, because it's what he, it's kind of, he, he's designed it to be like a catechism for his own life. So I've got the four questions that he asks himself every day and the scripture behind it on your handout as well. All right, so before we get into today's lesson, though, I want to uh, open us in prayer. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for today. We just thank you for a beautiful day outside. We just pray that uh, um, as we fellowship together today, we would be focused on you, uh, that we would have a time of, of joy with one another and just be able to apply all the lessons that we learned today uh, to our lives, Lord. Be able to take it and apply it and just spread your gospel as you've called us to, Lord. We just thank you for the time that you have provided for us. It's your name that we do pray. Amen. So today what we're going to do is we're going to go over more of like application as to that uh, thankfulness express that we went over last week. So what we're going to do is actually be going over Psalm 107. If you have your Bibles, I would suggest opening it up to 107. It's a long psalm, and because of that, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to have the ESV study Bible read it to us online. Um, so what we're going to start with is I'm going to have the sound booth play Psalm 107 if you want to follow along as we go through it. And then we'll go over four distinct groups that we see in that and how they deal with the, the circumstances of their lives and express their thanks. So if you wouldn't mind playing that. Good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. 
for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste, because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. A song. All right, so that was Psalm 107. So what do we see in the text? What do we see all through Psalm 107? I'm going to give you uh, four things that I noticed. The first one is that the psalm is the psalm of thanks. There's a lot of information throughout all that, but at the end of every single one, you see that they're to give thanks throughout the, the things that they're going through. We see that it is a psalm of Judah's exile and return. We see that it is a psalm focused on God's steadfast love for his people. We also see that it's a psalm focused on these four distinct people and how these four people give thanks. So that's what we're going to go over for the rest of our time together. 
we're going to be going over these four people. And the first group that we see is in Psalm 107, 4 through 9, and that's the hungry. So what do we see happening in Psalm 107, 4 through 9? There's a group of people that were banished from the land. There was, their home was the promised land, but they had wandered through the desert. They couldn't find a home to live in, so what did they do? They called out to the Lord, and he led them to rest. So how does that apply to us? So it applies because they, they were lost and hungry, their bodies were weak, and I'm sure that their trials seem very deep to them. However, their focus ultimately turned to the Lord. They cried out, and the Lord provided what they needed and, and what he knew they needed most. And what's interesting about this, this group of the hungry is that the lesson's actually a little bit bigger than just the, their hunger. So the lesson's bigger, and we, Dustin Crow in his book says, they learn from God quenching their appetite that he alone can satisfy their hungry souls. Their cry of need in a trial was finally expressed in a cry of thanksgiving to the Lord for his enduring love for them. So what we see through that, that whole entire text is you have a group of people that are wandering through the desert that are very hungry, that don't know what's what to do, so they cry out to the Lord. It took them being crushed through their hunger and through their wandering for them to turn to the Lord and cry out to the Lord. I think that that can resonate with a lot of people in this room. I know it resonates with me. That oftentimes what it takes for us to reorient our life back to the Lord is for a crushing trial to take place. And that's, it, it seems like every, anybody from the outside would look into our church and hear someone say that, you know, thank the Lord for a trial. I can think of there was one pastor that got a brain tumor and uh, he was interviewed by the AP because right before he went into surgery, uh, he released this video to his congregation. He told the congregation that he thanks the Lord for this trial. He's been asking for something to kind of wake up his congregation. It was a very young congregation. It was a, he would say that, you know, his, whenever he was conducting a funeral, it'd be for like a 30-year-old that drowned fishing or something like that. Like it wasn't a typical congregation. And what he was seeing is that there was a lot of apathy. It was a lot of check the box, I'm here on Sunday morning. So he, was, he would pray constantly that, would, that the Lord would do something to wake up his, his congregation. And he was a young pastor as well. And what did the Lord do? The Lord gave him a brain tumor that all the doctors thought was, were going to kill him. And so he releases this video the Sunday. I think he was going into surgery like on a Monday or Tuesday. He releases this video on a Sunday and um, basically says, I thank the Lord for this trial. I thank the Lord for this trial because I know that the Lord will use this trial to help you, to help me, to build us where we need to go. And it, somehow the Associated Press got a hold of that and they were just shocked by this. They couldn't understand why he would do this, why he would say that. And so after the surgery, he started recovering. AP came in, he allowed the AP to come to his home and just follow him through like, I think it was two or three days of his life. And they just got to see how he lived his life and things like that. And they released this article about it. So that's, that's what we see kind of through this, the hungry. Like there is a a trial that this people are going through. They're hungry, they're wandering the desert. However, the Lord knows what they ultimately need, and that's for them to be crushed in the desert and be crushed through their hunger so that they'll turn back to the Lord so that he can lead them in the direction they need to go, so he can build them up in the direction they need to go. And the result of that is them crying out in thanks to the Lord. The second group that we see is the powerless. 
this is Psalm 107, 10 through 16. So again, what's happening in, the, in this section, in these six verses, I guess seven verses? Our focus in 107 now shift towards a group of prisoners in a dark pit of despair. Their actions have led them to this point as well, we can see through this text. We see in verse 11 that, that the decisions of their lives and their decision, I'm sorry, we see in verse 11 that their decisions were against the words of God, and due to this, they are now in prison for those choices. So what do they do? We see in verse 13 that they call out to the Lord. What does he do? We see in verse 14 that he restores their lives and their souls. And then what's their response to that? We see that their response is thanksgiving. So how does this, this section, this group, apply to us? We may never find ourselves in prison. However, we may often feel powerless in our circumstances. This seems to be a big theme in today's age, especially with the younger generation. As we go down paths in our culture that we as believers see are, are not healthy or not good, or not good for our society, not good for our culture, not good for individuals, what we see is that they continually go down these paths where really helplessness and powerlessness is, it seems to be pushing them towards. If you really get into it, and a lot of the, the way that our culture is going, a lot of what's driving it, is, and if you interview and you talk to people, a lot of it is they just feel powerless. And so they go along with the culture, and it just pushes them further and further down into the pit. What's interesting is a lot of people that are turning away from that are turning away from that because they're finding the Lord, and they're realizing that this pit that they keep going down, and they keep digging themselves into, just leads them into more depression, more anger, more sadness, more despair, and the only thing that can bring them out of that is the Lord. That's kind of what we're seeing in this text here. So we have this powerless group that's, that finds themselves imprisoned. They're in despair. They're in this dark pit. And eventually, it, again, much like the hungry, it crushes them enough that they turn to the Lord. And the Lord in his goodness and his grace pulls them out of the pit and restores their souls. And their response to that is thanksgiving. However, we are never the ones with the power at any point in our lives. I think that's important for us to understand. We're never the ones with the power. We can be the president of the United States, you know, with a nuclear football following us everywhere we go. He's not the one with the power. God is ultimately the one with the power. He gives an example in this book, and it, it, it struck me hard. I'm going to let you in a little bit more than I normally do. But he talks about Hulk Hogan in this book. Growing up, I loved Hulk Hogan. I've introduced Jeremy to some of the, like the 90s, 80s and 90s pro wrestling. Boy, absolutely loves it. It was a huge mistake by me because I'm getting beat up constantly now. However, I was, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan. And what he, he mentions in this is um, Hulk Hogan would always, whenever he would come into the ring, whenever he'd come to, to the wrestling match, he would either run or walk down the middle aisle. He'd get into the, the ring and he would just, like, go psycho. Like, and as a, like, you know, a little kid, like six years old, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Now looking at it, I was like, that guy's a psycho. But get, he would get into the ring, and he would shake the ropes, and he would, he would always rip his shirt off before the, the, the match. And that was to show and, and to intimidate his opponent. 
And I can remember being a kid, wrestling against my brother, pretending that I was Hulk Hogan and walking into the living room and trying to rip my shirt and realize, oh man, I got no power whatsoever. So the example that he gives in here is that, that Hulk Hogan example of like, we, we like to rush into the ring and try to rip our shirt. It's not until we start to try to rip our shirt that we realize, oh, we don't have any power. We have no power at all. God is ultimately the one that has the power, and he reminds us of that power through some of the trials and the struggles that we go through. When we find ourselves in those moments of powerlessness where we feel the deep pain of anxiety, or and anxiety, of realizing that we may be helpless, we can always turn to the one with ultimate power. That's, that's the promise and the joy we get as believers is that we can turn to the Lord. We should always be turning to the Lord. Even when we're not in these trials, we should be turning to the Lord. However, we get that, that joy of knowing as believers. Like Rico was saying, he doesn't see us for our depravity now that we're in the Lord. He sees us through the lens of a holy and righteous Christ. And so because of that, we can go to him because he has the ultimate power. So what did, what did these people ultimately do? They ultimately gave thanks, which, if you remember from last week, is that, that idea of uh, thanksgiving being imprinted on their hearts. They had that small patch of land that they allowed thanksgiving to take root in while they were in the prison. And once they were ultimately crushed, and it seemed like that even that, thing, that little patch was taken away. Once they turned to the Lord, and they allowed that room to grow a little bit more, they sprinkled that miracle grow on that small little patch, Ultimately, what it does is it results in them having a deep desire to give thanks to the Lord and focus, them, focus off of their misery, focus off of themselves, and put their focus on the Lord. The next group that we're going to go over is the broken, and we see them in 107, 17 through 22. So what's happening in this section? We see now 107 now shifts its focus again towards another group, and that's the broken. They are broken, much like the other groups that we've already gone over, but they are broken because of the sinful decisions of their way, and their ways. And we see that in verse 17. Due to this rebellion, they find themselves afflicted and in folly. They are at the point of death because they adhor food of any kind. So what do they do? We should see a theme happening here. So in verse 18, we see that they cry out to the Lord. So what does he do? Again, we should see a theme. He saves them in their time of distress and heals them. And that's in verse 19. And what's their response? Their response is what we've gone over. They give thanks. We see that in verses 21 and 22. So again, how does this group, this broken, apply to us? I think one of the most important things that we can gain from this is that there are consequences to our actions. Our sin is devastating. It crushes, and it's often all-encompassing. Once we enter into that sin, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. But God is a forgiving and loving God. We see in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And much like the Judeans that we're talking about here in this text, he will not only restore our health and relationship with him, but he will bring us 
to the, back to the promised land with him. So if we are confessing our sins, if we're turning even in these, these pits of despair, even while we're broken, if we're turning back to him, for those of us that are in Christ, the ultimate result is eternity with him. I say this often, especially with guys that I'm meeting with. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to us on this earth is the best thing that can happen to us on this earth. The moment our life ends here, we're in glory. That's the worst thing that can happen to us. That's why we see, like, Paul, through all of his writings, he was like the most impossible person for anybody to deal with. Because if you threatened him with prison, he would just say, I'm going to preach to the prison guards. If he was in prison... Or if, if you tell him you're going to release him from prison, he would say, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel in the, in the square. If you took him out back to stone him, he would say, okay, all, uh, to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. Like there was nothing you could do to Paul to devastate him because he knew the worst thing that could happen to him is the taking of his life, and that just put him in the best place he could ever imagine. The next group that we go going over, I'm going fast because we're already at time because of the clip I showed you, but... The last group that we see here in Psalm 107 is the fearful. So what's happening in this section? Psalm 107, 22 through 32, we see 107 takes us in a final shift and focuses on a group of sailors caught in a storm at sea. And what's interesting about this is if we're talking about exiled Judeans here, then we can understand that this group of sailors, this group of God's chosen people, are actually serving a foreign king in this instance. Because God's people weren't big fans of going out in the open sea. You don't see a lot of that. Whenever you do see that, it often isn't going well. You think of like Jonah. It doesn't go well for Jonah. You don't think of, like when you think of the Judean army, you never think of the Judean navy. <laughs> There's no point for them to have a navy. It's just not what their people do. So if they're on a boat, that means that they're serving a foreign king. And they find themselves caught in a storm about to go down. So what do they do? Anybody want to answer that one? They cry out to the Lord. We see that in verse 28. What did he do? He calmed the storm and guided their ship to shore. We see that in verse 29 through 30. What is their response? They give thanks to the Lord and praise him. And that's verses 31 through 32. And how does this apply to us? We all find ourselves in storms in life. These can be real storms. Uh, a few when uh, spring was starting, Jess took the, the, all the kids over to a friend's house, and it was right when that tornado just wanted to go through Evansville. And ever since, both Reese and... Actually, Reese, Charlotte, and Jeremy are all terrified of rain, let alone storms. To the point that every night I lay down with Reese, I'll snuggle with her in bed, talk to her a little bit about her day, and before I leave, she always asks me, hey, Dad, is it supposed to rain tonight? I'm like, no, you're going to bed. You don't have to worry about that. Is, is it going to rain tonight? I'm like, I don't have my phone. You can look it up on your watch. Like, okay, I'll look it up on my watch. So I have to look it up on my watch. So we may go through actual physical storms that can, that can really terrify us, really scare us, or storms in our lives in the form of trials like we've been going over. But we serve a God that can calm the waters and silence the strongest squalls. But, and this is an important point, 
when we're going through trials, when we're going through struggles, he may choose not to do so. It's his will. He may choose not to calm those storms in our lives. He might use those storms and trials to mold us into the sons and daughters that he needs. There is no promise anywhere in the world or anywhere in the word that he will cease all of our trials or all of our storms. But there are promises that he will carry us through the storms and that he will always be there with us. We see those promises in verses like Hebrews 13:5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The entire chapter of Psalm 23 is a good reminder of his continual presence with us. But that section there, even though I walk, and this is verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That verse should give us enormous comfort in the fact that it's not him caring, or it's not him watching over us through the storm, not watching over us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not him, you know, aware that we're going through the valley. It's, what does it say? It says, for I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He is present with us even through the darkest of storms. And honestly, you can go through almost any of the, the laments and psalms, and you can find that presence of the Lord through all of them. It should also give us comfort and strength to know that we serve a God that is in complete control of all circumstances and trials. The same God that calmed the storm in 107 is the same God that stirred up the storm in 107, if you look at that text. He is not a reactive God in our lives. He is always active and he's all-knowing. And for that, we should always give thanks and be known as a people of joy and thanksgiving, not a people of negativity and despair. So how do, how do we do this? How do we go about our lives with this, this deep-rooted joyfulness? When we look back at Genesis, and we're going to go over three points here. The first one is that we have friends. The Lord is very gracious in allowing us to make friends, be in a community of believers like we are here in this church. If you look back at Genesis 2.18, God created all things in what way? He created them good. But whenever he saw that the man was alone, what did he say? He said it was not good. Granted, that text is talking about creating the woman to be a helpmate for the man because the man was not complete by himself. However, we can also take that in understanding that a believer by themselves is not a good thing. Bryson, one of his sermons one time, I don't know if it might have been a Sunday school class, said that you know, there are no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. Because if you watch the Lone Ranger, the Lone Ranger always gets shot. Like, we're called to be a social people with one another, as painful as that is for me often. However, we are called to be a social people. And there's nothing better than having that fellow believer alongside you to encourage you, to challenge you, to build you up, just to do life with you alongside you. Before that clip, uh, Rico also talked about how he has a, a friend, and one of the things him and his friend do 
is they'll meet, I think he said once a month. Whenever they meet once a month, the first question they'll ask each other is, what is the question that you don't want me to ask you? And they have to go through what, like, what is that besetting sin that they're trying to hide from everybody and everything? And they try to be that raw with one another. That is what, this is how we do this. It's through our friends. We also do it through God's word. We have the privilege of going to God's word at any time for anything. We live in a world where the Bible is everywhere, including on our phones. We can go to the word in our times of trial, times of struggle, times of joy, and times of peace. We can go to the word any time we want. What should our, our response to that be? It should be thankfulness. It should be thanksgiving. What is often our response to the God that created us and revealed himself to us in his clear written Bible. So what is often our, our response to that? Spurgeon has a great quote on this. He said, there is, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. We often neglect the word that the Lord has given to us. But on the same side, Spurgeon also wrote, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The final thing that we're going to go over is how we do this is through dwelling on God's attributes. We went over this pretty heavily in week two. You can pick from any of God's attributes and meditate on them. That alone should give us pause to give thanks. I hope that you have seen a kind of a theme going through this class so far. That's, there's a need in our life not to, lean, not to learn how to stop grumbling through what we should do. There's no magic bullet or words that will cause us to stop being a self-focused and grumbling people. Our need is to realize that our focus is too much on ourselves, our needs, our desires, how we can do things better or how things need to go our way. Our need is to shift our focus from ourselves and onto the Lord in all circumstances in life. In everything, in everything, at all times, our need needs to be focused on the Lord. We find ourselves in this, this world of grumbling and complaining when we start focusing on ourselves, looking inward to ourselves to find joy, looking inward to what we think the world should be, looking inward to where we want things to go instead of focusing on the Lord and what the Lord has commanded us to do. A, gr a great way to do this is taking time to focus on God's attributes and praise Him for the attributes that He shows us.